0: Good morning, Boker Tov. I want to thank our sponsors this morning, Bernie and Sherry Perlowitz, in honor of their grandsons Levi Perlowitz and Yosef Shmuel's Bar Mitzvah. Mazel tov. You should have a lot of Nachas Mirza Hashem. As always, we're going to do an overview of the Parsha, and then we're going to delve into a specific Pesukim. I was happy this morning to find I had left myself a note where we left off last year. So we can, we can pick up exactly from that Pesuk. So first an overview of the Parsha, Parsha's Vayera, page 78. In the art scroll, stone, chumash. Our parsha begins where last week's parsha left off. And that is Avram Avinu has given himself a bris He circumcised himself at an advanced age. It's the third day, most painful day after surgery. And yet, for Avram, even more painful than recovering from surgery with no anesthetic and no sterile environment and no other doctor to do it for him. We ended last week by talking about who did this bris. Either Avram did it on himself with Hashem holding his hand, guiding it. The magnificent image the Medrash paints. Mm-hmm. Hashem holding Avram's hand as it shakes for him to do that bris, the partnership together. Or we said Shem Ben-Noach was the one who did it. I guess he took a break from giving shir in his yeshiva. Yeshiva Shem Ben-Ever. And, uh, and now Avram is recovering. But more painful from Avram than the thought of recovering <coughs> is the thought of being inhospitable that there are people who need him, that he can give, he can provide, he can care for others, and he's neglecting them. The idea of neglecting others is more painful for him even than recovering from surgery. It's a magnificent legacy that we've inherited from our great, great, great Zayda, from Avram Avinu. Avram's legacy, of course, is monotheism. Of course, it's promoting the uniqueness, the oneness of the Ribbon Shalom in this world. But his legacy is also of chesed, is the idea that neglecting somebody who's in need should be a source of pain, at least the same amount as a physical pain, if not more. So Avram is sitting outside his tent. It's the heat of the day. He sees what he thinks are three wandering Arabs and three strangers, nomads. And of course, he welcomes them into his tent. Now, what does he interrupt in order to do so? We've shared this before. He's in the middle of a conversation with Hashem. Hashem, Hashem is also a role model for us. Hashem doesn't only tell us what to do, but... He is a example of what to do here. Hashem is exemplifying biker cholim. He's visiting Avram Avinu, and Hashem says to Avram, says to Hashem, rather, could you give me a minute? I, I just somebody's knocking on the door. There's some people here. I just want to offer them a cold drink. Is it okay if I get back to you in a second? I, I don't want to spend time on it because we've talked about it in the past. It's very perplexing. One would think that kvod that honoring God, supersedes honoring three strangers. Let him go to the next tent. Let them wait a minute while you finish up that conversation with Hashem. But Avram takes the call waiting, so to say. Avram takes them in and says to Hashem, you know what? I'm getting another call. Can I just put you on hold for one second? You'd think Hashem would hang up. I don't know. I hang up when someone puts me on hold and 10 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, 2 minutes, I say, obviously the other conversation became more intriguing. I, right, When they want to, they'll call me back. Not with anger, just for efficiency. They'll call me back. Hashem takes it, he says, yeah, no problem, I can wait. What's going on here? And clearly, the message is, Hashem's, uh, Avram says to himself, what's greater, talking to Hashem or being like Hashem? What's greater, having a conversation with the Rebun Shalom or emulating and imitating the Rebun Shalom? And what would Hashem want more? And Avram concludes, and in fact, he teaches us, that more important to imitate and emulate Hashem than even to talk with Him. This is the idea behind the halacha, that you're in the middle of Krishma and it depends between paragraphs, the middle of a paragraph, initiating, responding, but all the different circumstances, you interrupt, because kavod B'riyaz, ben Adam how are you? Mekabal O Machu Shemayim and O Mitzvos, the themes of Shema are honoring the dominion of Hashem and accepting His providence, our responsibility, the yoke of mitzvos. So one is not interrupting those things to talk to someone else. One is fulfilling Kabbalah's Omach Shemayim by imitating Shemayim. If it would be rude, if it would be considered uh, uh, discourteous, then you interrupt, then you interrupt. Not because you're neglecting Hashem at that moment, you're honoring Hashem by being like him. That's what Avram Avinu does. If you in the of Shema, if somebody comes over and talks to you, you Shema? Yeah, well, Post can point out that today, in a typical shul, the guy's in shul with you every single day. He's just being disrespectful to Shema, so then, nah, don't answer. But we're talking about, you know, Melech Omer, the king checks B'Shlom, is checking on your well being with whom you're allowed to initiate, with whom you're allowed to respond. Somebody who doesn't know better comes over to you, then you do respond. That's the strict halacha. That's the strict halacha. Three angels came. These were angels in the guise of men. Each had a unique mission and a unique purpose. This is Pesach time. Avram is observing Pesach. And he sends to go offer for hospitality. Um, Sends everybody else on their mission to do so. The first angel comes to bring the promise to Sarah Imenu, who's waited long enough that in fact she's going to have a son. How does Sarah respond? Batitzchak Sarah more. We're not going to talk about this now, we've discussed it in the past. You can listen online. Sarah is mitzachik, she laughs. Yet Avram has the same reaction later, he's not criticized. And not only is Sarah criticized and Avram's not, what ultimately is that child named? Yitzchak. Yitzhak. So is the laughter the laughter of disbelief? Is that are we critical of it? Was it understandable? Why would we memorialize it and capture it in designating it as Yitzchak's actual name? We've talked about it in the past, but if you look, the clue is to look at Unklos. Unklos translates that word, Mitzachek, Tzachaka, different in every place. With Sarah, it was a laughter of cynicism, of sarcasm, of disbelief, of give me a break, it's impossible, never going to happen, who are you kidding, what will they say? Versus the laughter of joy, of happiness, of the disbelief of wow, Hashem is so good to me. I can't believe this is going to happen, and that uh, if you look at him close, you'll see the hint to that name. Avram now learns about the destruction. One of the angels came in order to destroy Sodom, and Hashem introduces the section where he's going to clue Avram in about the destruction of Sodom by saying, "I love Avram. How can I hold this back from him? In fact, what do I love about Avram?" Now, if I would have asked you, what does Hashem love about Avram? Based on last week's Pasha, based on the Midrash, and what we know already about him, what do you think Hashem loves about Avram? What makes Avram appealing, lovable to the Rebona Shalom? I would have said, (laughs) (laughs) Avram and Sarah are the first outreach professionals. They're the first outreach volunteers. They're They're transforming the world. Ethical monotheism, a world that is consumed by paganism and idolatry. Avram comes to the conclusion, maybe even at three years old, there's only one God. A world that's consumed by lust, jealousy, honor. Avram says, A tent open on our sides, caring about other people. I would have thought, what makes Avram so beloved to Hashem? He's radically transforming the world. But that's not it. What does the Pasuk say? What is our core responsibility? You know why I love Avram? Because I know. You know why I love Avram? Because of the way he's raising his children. Because of the way he's raising his children now. will raise his children because he's transmitting the value system to the next generation. I love Avram because of the continuity he's created. And what are those values that he's transmitting to the next generation? u <laughs> mishpat, Justice and righteousness. Right? Not the Khumra's, not the, again, not to in any way diminish halacha. Avram observed halacha even before it was given. And halacha is the backbone of our lives. Halacha is the expectation, the demand Hashem has of us. But the halacha is a platform to pursue an agenda of Tzachau Mishpat. You can't observe halacha while neglecting Tzachau Mishpat. The system of halacha is to be able to promote in Hashem's world His vision for Tzachau Mishpat, for justice and righteousness. So it's very instructive. Though when Hashem reveals what He loves about Avram, what is it? It's that He's... Not that He's changing the world outside. It's what He's doing for His family. That He's showing up. That He's present that he's successful in transmitting these values to his children, that's A. And what are those values? Staka'u <laughs> u'mishpat. He tells Avram, look, I can't hold it back from you. You're my confidant. You are the one through whom I want to change the world. How could I hold it back from you? You need to know I'm destroying stone. And with the part that we're going to come back and look at more carefully is the negotiation, the protest that Avram enters into with Hashem on behalf of stone. Spoiler alert, Avram loses the negotiation. Got to go to the next section. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Avram loses. Hashem is determined to destroy Stom. And in fact, he destroys Stom. But he saves Lot. Avram continues to show that personal responsibility for Lot, whom he calls Lot until now is called the Benachiv. He's his nephew. But when he's going to intercede on behalf of Lot, in last week's Parsha, in the War of the Four and Five Kings, in this week's Parsha, he calls Lot my brother. Now Avram didn't get confused between his nephew and his brother. He knew the difference in the family tree. When Avram says, my brother, what he means is, he's the first to take responsibility for another. The Dora Mabel, the Dora Flaga, Cain and Hevel, even Adam and Chava. Hashem confronts each one of them. And says, hey, what's going on over here? And each one says, it's their fault. (laughs) Each one says, I didn't do it. (laughs) Hashem, am I my brother's keeper? Everyone shirks responsibility. Everyone passes the buck. Everyone passes the blame. Avram's the first one to say, you know what? I'm going to take care of my brother. I'm going to stand up for someone else. I'm taking responsibility. We spoke about this on, maybe on Kippur? Shana? Sometime the last month. We spoke about, Stephen Covey says, the word responsibility is responsibility. It's the ability to respond. You want to pass the buck? You want to make excuses? You see this right now. I spoke about it a month ago. Who would know what would happen in the next month? Every politician, celebrity, athlete who has come out you know, intellectual, editor of major journals, everyone who has come out, former presidents, who has come out that uh, they behave terribly at some point in their life towards women, towards others, towards little boys. So their apologies are the, literally, they're the textbook example of how not to apologize. They're the textbook example of not taking responsibility. It's unbelievable. The core, that's what we spoke about, we spoke about it in Russian. the core of, of an apology is taking responsibility is the ability to respond. It's taking care of your brother. It's stepping up and not passing the buck. That's what Avram Avinu does. Lod has two daughters. We know this horrific story. We've studied this in the past as well. You could read online. You could listen online. Why Mashiach descends from such a... uh, I don't know. What could you say? Checkered, tainted background. Through each lot and his daughters, Yehuda and Tamar, Dovin and Bachel, each all the lineage of Mashiach, Mashiach's resume. If he has to list his yichus, right? No one's dating Mashiach. No one's letting their daughter date Mashiach. If you look at the resume, it reveals a tremendous flaw of the resume. But let's leave that aside for a moment. It means your daughter could lose the, the shidduch with Mashiach because you're focusing too much on on the yichus. But in any case, such a checkered yichus, what's really going on in the story here of Lot and his daughters? And just to give you an insight, we've spoken about this with Rav Moshe, Rav Moshe Feinstein, that's how it talks about in Europe. This individual had this dream, Lot's daughters come to him, he had spoken negatively about them based on the parsha, and they explain, Rav Moshe writes this, this is not uh, some baba Misa, this is Rav Moshe Feinstein. He says, uh, they came in this dream to this man that, that Rav Moshe was at his deathbed, and they say to him, look, we thought that this was like after Noah, Hashem had, when He destroyed Sodom. We thought He once again destroyed the whole world, and we thought we had a responsibility like the generation of Noah to repopulate the world. We're not licentious, immoral, corrupt, having this uh, this um, incestuous relationship with our father. We thought we were repopulating the world. There was a noble intent, and you see in the in the names themselves of these these uh, countries that come. But in the reward, Rusha Moaviyah is born from Moav, which results from this union. And of course, from there comes Mashiach. Sarah is abducted. Avram gets her back. Yitzchak is born. Hagar and Yishmael are expelled from the house. And here too, we have something unbelievable. Sarah Imenu determines that Yishmael is a bad influence on on, uh, her precious Yitzchak, for whom she's waited so long also worthy of discussion another time, when do we say there's room for everyone because everyone belongs even to Yishmael? And when to protect and preserve your Yitzchak? You have to say it's time for Yishmael to find somewhere else. Another school, another camp, another neighborhood. I'm not giving an answer on that. It's a very complex, it's a very difficult question. Usually the answer determines. If you're yishmal 's mother or father, you have to give him another chance. If you're Yitzchak's mother or father, how could you dare... Expose my Yitzchak to these other influences that are gonna bring him down. So who what's the real truth? You need some third party objective to be able to determine what's right. But anyway, when Sarah tells Avram this, what does Hashem say to Avram? The eternal wisdom that men of Jewish men are supposed to be following ever since. <laughs> Whatever your wife tells you, Tishmahikola, listen to her voice. Whatever she says when she says jump, you say how high. So Avram, in fact, expels Hagar, his first son, Yishmael. Does Avram love Yishmael? How do we know Avram loves Yishmael? How do you know Avram loves Yishmael? Because at the end of the parsha, when Hashem says momentarily, we'll get to it. Kachna is bincha. Avram, take your son. What does Avram say? I I have two sons. Which son? It's Yechidcha. Come on, Avram, your only son. My only son... Each one is an only son to their mother. Asher Ahavta, Avram, enough playing around, the one you love. says, Hashem, I love both of them. Hashem says, you know what, Avram, you're incorrigible. Es Yitzchak, take Yitzchak, go on the mountain and slaughter him. Hashem goes through this whole process, maybe just to reveal to us that Avram considers Yishmael also his only son and also the son that he loves. Asher Ahavta, oh, Asher to my Yitzchak. No. Asher to which one? I love Yitzchak and I love Yishmol. Very telling about his relationship with Yishmol. Despite the disappointment in Yishmol. It's an incredible medrash. Again, we've spoken about in the past. I don't want to take the time. Yishmol shows up when Avram dies. Yishmol shows up for the funeral. And the pasuk says that next week's Pasha, that Yishmol and Yitzchak stand side by side and give the Hesbid for their father. What? Yishmol has been expelled from the house cut out from the legacy, he shows up. You can picture Yishmael showing up on his, on, his, um, on his motorcycle and he's got tattoos and he's got piercings. He's wearing his leather vest. He makes his way to the front of the room. There's Yitzchak, the Miztama. He's got a long beard and payas. And uh, Yitzchak and Yishmael stand side by side and they give a hespit. How? There's a beautiful medrash, which we don't have time for now, but I'll, I'll tell you a hint. Aside from that medrash, maybe it's the Asherah Hafta. If Avram could tell Hashem, look, you tell me the son I love, I love both equally. You don't think Ishmael felt that? Even when he was expelled from the house. Even when Avram practiced tough love. And sometimes parents need to practice tough love. But the key is that the child, even when they're expelled from the house because of the tough love, they have to know Asher ahafta. This is not as a punishment. It's not punitive. This is out of love for you. Asher Ahafta. If Hashem knew it, then Mistama Yishmal also knew it. And maybe that's why he doesn't ever stray too far. And at the end, he comes back in order to honor his father. So despite his love for Yishmal, when it's time to expel him, tough love he does. Hagar and Yishmal go. They have nothing to eat. They have nowhere to go. Yishmael is about to die. They run out of water. And what happens? What's Hagar doing? She walks away. And why does she walk away, the Pasuk says? She can't bear to stand to watch her little Yishmal die. Who is Hagar making it about? Herself. What do you mean you can't stand to bear to watch? This is your son. This is your flesh and blood. Hold him in your lap. Stroke his hair. Put your hand on his cheek. Give him whatever chizik you can. But Hagar makes it about herself. She withdraws because as the Pasuk testifies, she can't stand to bear to watch him suffer. Hagar is not our matriarch. That's not our legacy. We spoke about in Simcha's Torah in the Shir for Women, about empathy, that the Jewish legacy is not of Hagar, I can't stand to bear to watch you suffer. It's empathy. I am no se Ba'ol im havero. I'm suffering with you, side by side. I'm carrying your burden with you to lighten your load a little bit for you. And we spoke about the contrast between Hagar and Aram. B'nei Anar When little Moshe is in the basket and it says the lad is crying, Moshe has just been described as a tinok as a baby. Which is he? Is he a baby or a nar? Comes along to Balaturim and says, the nar is crying. That's not Moshe in the basket. That's Arun. He was hiding behind the tree, behind the bush. He was watching what will be with Moshe. And he's crying because of the empathy he feels. He's part of this journey. When When Hashem appears to Moshe in a bush, it's a thorn bush. Says Rashi, why not a fancy, magnificent, beautiful, ornate tree, bush, landscape? Why this thorn bush? Because Hashem is saying, I'm suffering with you, empathy. Our legacy is not of Hagar, who says, I can't bear to watch you suffer, because it's about me. Our legacy is about empathy. And in that sheer we talked about, and we quoted a number of uh, excellent sources, including Sheryl Sandberg's recent book, Option B, they talk about the difference when your friend is in crisis. The difference between being a hagar, making it all about me. Oh yeah, I can't stand to watch you suffer. It was so hard for me to see your husband looking like that. That's the worst thing you could say. That's terrible. That's being a hagar. It's making it about you versus making it about the person. We quoted the great therapist whose name escapes me about the circle, the ring theory of, of comfort, of being a friend. Dump in, uh, comfort in and dump out. Not the opposite direction. Anyway, that was all another time. But the contrast of Hagar and our legacy of Moshe Aaron and the Rebono Shalom. Okay. And then, of course, the Parsha ends with the 10th trial. Arts girl Paskins, it's the 10th trial. Rabbeinu Yonah disagrees, but we'll leave that for another time. If you look on page one hundred one hundred one, the stone Chumash Paskins, the 10th trial. But it's a big debate what the 10th trial is. Rabbeinu Yonah says the 10th trial comes at the beginning of next week's Parsha. When Avram has to negotiate with that low-life oisvarf, Ephron hachiti, that's the tenth trial, says Rabbeinu Yonah. Anyway, Aritz Paskins, this is the tenth trial. What's the tenth trial? The Akedah, Akedah Yitzchak. So i say tell you something interesting about Akedah Yitzchak. Something new I saw this year. Of course, the Akedah is the most perplexing, maybe passage in the entire Tanakh. How al Baruch Hu could demand it, how Avram felt the strength to do it, You have to understand, to put this trial in context, this is not just, hey, Avram, do something unimaginable. This is, hey, Avram, you know how you've spent your whole life building this reputation? You've taken out ads on radio, TV, newspaper, you've written op-eds, you stand on a soapbox everywhere you go, and you tell anyone who will listen, stop sacrificing your children. It's paganism, it's idolatry, it's corrupt, it's immoral. There's one God, and He wants us to be kind, and you've been preaching... The vision for the world. So you know Avram, you've been telling anyone who will listen, you are the poster child for not killing your child. I have something I need you to do. Oh, and also remember how you waited all these years to have that child through whom this legacy you've built will continue (coughs) and there'll be some continuity. Yeah, I I have something I need you to do. I want you to take the child you waited so long for and I want you, for the world to see, to kill him. And why are you sacrificing him? Because God told you to do so. Could you imagine that trial? Go against everything you've been preaching, everything you've been living, everything you stand for, everything you've built, everything you worked for. And what does Avram say? Okay. Now Avram doesn't say okay. Again, this is not the section we're studying today, but there's an incredible medrash which describes the medrash Tanchuma. Avram got up and he went. But when he went, it took him three days. And the medrash describes over those three days... The satan accosted him and appeared in the guise of an old man. And the satan appeared then as the river that kept rising on his neck. And the satan kept coming after him and trying to convince him not to do it. And he persevered. But Nechama Leibovitz, Zechrona Levracha, in her book, in her Sefer, has a beautiful interpretation of the Medrash. That the satan was not some external influence. Who was that satan? It was the voice in Avram's own head. The voice of doubt. The voice of uncertainty. The voice of confusion. And she describes how each of the guises that the satan took represents another legitimate hesitation Avram had. How could you do it because of this? How could you do it because of that? And the legacy we have from Avram is that he put one foot in front of the other until it became the third day and he arrived at the destination. Despite the reluctance, despite the hesitancy, despite the doubt, despite the reasons not to, The legacy of Avram Avinu is he persevered, he endured, he put one foot in front of another until he found himself in the place and he had passed the trial, he was ready. But anyway, when he gets close, Avram turns to Eliezer and Yishmol. He says actually to Eliezer, wait here with the donkey. Now he's not calling Yishmol, who we just described as one of his love of his life, a donkey. Chazal understand imachamor as Am Hadome lechamor. This is the father of a nation who will be a nation of donkeys. I'm tempted to use the other word for donkey, but I won't. Shvulach and Po imachamor. Am Hadome lechamor. Vani vahanar, the radicals among them. Khalila, I'm not suggesting the whole nation. Vani v'anar nilcha ad-ko. And the lad and I. Who's the lad? Yitzchak and I. Yitzchak's not a nar. How old is Yitzchak? Yitzchak is not a a, uh, young man. We're going to keep going, and what will we do? We're going to bow down, and we'll be right back. So stay here. Eliezer, you watch this guy, and we're going to just go bow down. We're going to go pray. We'll be right back. Ask the Slanom Rebbe. You know, they get to the destination, and what do they do? They gather firewood. And they have the altar. And ultimately, Avram raises his hand with the knife. And the angel says, stop. He offers a ram in its place. And they come back. What don't they do? Bow down. Bow down. What happened to the Nishtach What happened to the Nishtach and Is Avram a liar? There was never the intention of bowing down. Nor did he ever bow down. And when he comes back... He also they didn't intend to both come back. That's true. But where's the nishtachava? Where's the nishtachave? Moreover, asked the son of rabbi, quotes the Medrash and Bresh's Rabbah on this pasuk, nishtachave v'nashova elechem, hakol bizchus It was all in the merit of bowing down. That's why they both returned. In the merit of something he didn't do? What do you mean the reason they both returned safely, including Yitzchak, is in the merit of the bowing down? He never actually bowed down. And moreover, the Medrash says, it's in the merit of bowing down that we were redeemed from Egypt. The Torah was only given at our Sinai in the merit of bowing down. We'll only be redeemed from our exile. We'll only be redeemed from this horrible exile in the merit of bowing down. What's with the bowing down? What's with the Ishtachava? So Avram says, we're going to do this thing, he never intended on doing it. The Medrash says, it all went well, why? In the Merit, they bowed down. They never bowed down. Bowing down is why all these good things happen to us. What's with the bowing down? The Slalom Rebbe develops a beautiful idea. I encourage you to read it inside in his Nesiva Shalom. Ishtachava is another way of saying bitl, being mevatl. What is the idea of Ishtachava? It's taking a knee. We only take a knee not to protest we don't take a knee against an anthem. We don't take a knee against a flag. We take a knee... Every day. Are we mishtachavim? We don't get on the ground and prostrate ourselves with our hands and legs. We don't do that. And yet we're describing... Says the Slamer Rebbe, what's mishtachavim is bitl. When we're willing to concede, submit to Hashem, when we're willing to forfeit our understanding of His world when we recognize all we have comes from Him and all we need will come from Him, when we understand that we can't comprehend His ways, when we submit to His dominion, His omnipotence, His providence in the world, that's bital. We're nullifying ourselves to Him and that's ishtachava. And the Islam Rabbi develops this idea and proves it from sukkim that you can bow down even while you're standing up. Bowing down is not just a physical posture. Bowing down is a state of being. Bitl, and Hashem. So Avram says we're going to bow down. He doesn't mean when I get to the top of the mountain, I'm going to lie on the floor. What he means is I'm only going to the mountain because I'm bowing down to Hashem. I'm being Mavata myself to Hashem. And it was in the merit of Avram's willingness to submit and forfeit his understanding of everything, to go back and violate all he had dedicated his life to. It was only in that merit that they come back safely the same is true with each of these major milestones, significant phases. And that's another component of the Akedah and its test. And that's another legacy Avram leaves for us is the capacity to let go and let God. The capacity to be mivatal ourselves to Hashem when there's a conflict between how He's running the world and how we want Him to run the world. And there's a conflict between our comprehension. There's a conflict between our want and what He's giving to be able to have that that power to be mevatel ourselves. Okay, let's go back now and look at these psukim. We're going to study Pasach of Beis. It's exactly where we left off last year. Chapter 18, verse 22, page 82 in the Or Scroll Stone Chumash. And here we are right after Hashem has told Avram, "Avram, I love you." Why do I love you? Because you stand for justice and righteousness and you're transmitting it to your children. And because I love you, I can't help but let you in. I have to tell you a secret. I got to tell you a secret. Can I confide in you? You know what the Jewish notion of a secret is? The Jewish definition of a secret is something you tell people one by one. (laughs) When Hashem tells a secret, it's really a secret. And Hashem says to Avram, I got to tell you something. Pasuk, we're up to Pasuk Chavbez. Again, that's where we left off last year. I'll just... Last year we ended off on the previous pasach. Verda na Hashem says, I hear the cries of stone. I'm coming down to check it out. Does Hashem have to come down to check it out? We always find that Hashem comes down. Where else do we find it? With the ego we find it. We find it. We, what do we say? For all slichos, It's already out of your memory. Elul, slichos rashanayim, kippur, neila. But what do we say? What do we say? Vayered Hashem. Hashem comes down. Vayered Hashem. Erdana. With Mikbal Vavel, He comes down to check it out. With Stone. He's coming down to check it out. Later, Hei He comes down to check it out. Why the image of Hashem, who's omnipotent, knows everything, can see it from anywhere, He doesn't exist in space, why? What message is he trying to convey with the notion of Erda? So last year we quoted Rav Schwab, Zatzal, Rav Shimon Schwab, and Sefer as a beautiful pshat in Erda. Go online and listen. Pasach of Bez, and Hashim, V'Avram Odenu Omeid Hashem. The men had turned from there and they went to Sodom while Avram was still standing before Hashem. It says, Who are these men? These are still the angels, the angels in the guise of men. Says Rashi, Va Misham, Sham, from the place that Avram had escorted them to. Avram has got a limp. Avram is on the worst day of recovery from an adult circumcision, nevertheless is still so committed to hospitality that he's escorting his guests out. Why is the Possak describing that Avram's still standing in front of Hashem? Wasn't it Hashem who went to visit Avram? Not the opposite way around. Who went to whom? Hashem went to visit Avram, not Avram going to Hashem. It should have described Hashem as still being in front of Avram. Wow, what does Rashi mean? Is it a misprint? Does our sacred Torah have a misprint to open over any safer Torah in a shul? You're not going to find it written differently. Hashem Odenu Omeid lefnei Avram. It says universally, Avram odenu Omeid lefnei Hashem. Is this a misprint, Divrei Sofram? So if you look at the Sif Chachamim, he explains what Divrei Sofram. Eina o Afilo os achas God forbid we're not suggesting editors, printers... Actually, changed or manipulated the text of the Torah. What does it mean? Siv explains. I don't want to take our time. The Sforno has a different interpretation. Look at the Sforno. The Avram Odenu says, The angels have already arrived in so. The three come to Avram. He gives them a good meal with matzah. He gives them a good, as good a meal you could have with matzah. And he escorts them out. They're on their way. The angel who's designated to destroy Stom has already arrived there. That's what it means. Despite their having arrived for their mission, Avram, even in the last minute, is not giving up. the rabbi said, The Gemara Baruchos tells us even if a sharp sword is resting on your neck, Never, ever give up hope. There is no situation. If you're a Jew as faith, if you're a believing person, there's no hopeless situation. Now we have to be realists, right? Part of the empathy we spoke about earlier. Somebody's been diagnosed with a terminal illness. You can't say, I have faith it's going to work out. It's all going to be good. That's among also the worst things that you could say, even with the best intentions. You have no right to say that. You have no knowledge it will work out well. It likely won't. So I'm not suggesting you should say to someone, oh, I know you have terminal illness, you're on your deathbed, but even a sword resting on your neck, you have to have hope. This is the attitude that we ourselves have to bring. It's not an attitude that we ever suggest or impose on other people. I'll tell you something interesting. Jeff Hillowitz, one of our members, told me a story right before we went on our Poland trip in June. And I told the story in Poland to our uh, participants on the trip. His father was in a concentration camp and for no reason, one of the guards who walked by, for no reason other than his own... It was on a whim. Uh, sentenced Jeff's father to be hanged in the camp. And they set up the gallow, they set up the rope, and they set up the stand, and he stood on it. He had a thought of being the end of his life. And uh, they kicked away the box, and he hung, and the rope snapped. He fell. And the guard, so angry so frustrated he took out his pistol and went to shot to shoot the man and his pistol jammed and he took someone else's pistol and he's increasingly grew in his frustration he's trying to kill this Jew and the second pistol jammed and so infuriated and frustrated he said damn Jew get out of my face go back to your barrack and Jeff's father survived survived the war obviously that's how Jeff is here That to me is the most story of the imagine having your rope around your neck waiting to be hung, you survive that. A pistol in your face, you think this is it, you're going to be shot, survive that. A second pistol, you survive that. It's not something we could bank on, it's not something we could tell someone, oh, you have a terminal disease, oh, let me tell you a story I heard in Goldberg's Parsha class about a guy... It's not something we impose on anyone else. It's a feeling we have for ourselves. So Avram Odenu Omeid, even though the angel of destruction is there to, to eliminate Sodom, it's the last moment. It's a hopeless situation. Avram has not given up hope. He continues to advocate for the people of Sodom. And that's exactly what he does in Paslech of Gimel. Paslech Gimel, Avram approaches. Avram approaches Sodom and he uh, approaches Hashem and he says, Are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? What are you kidding me? Now, this, this is an extraordinary passage in the Torah. This is extraordinary. It's particularly extraordinary when you compare it and contrast it to two weeks ago's Parsha. Because what happened two weeks ago? Hashem similarly tells Noach, I'm destroying the world. They haven't lived up to my expectations. Doing a hard reset on the world, not working out. I got a virus in the system. And what does Noach say? What does Noach say? Okay. Ah, you, well. Now, I had this discussion with another Parsha group I learned with. A great debate ensued. I have a Parsha shir on Wednesday nights. I give 7.45 to 8.30 in the Beis Medrash. For men, it's a more Dvar Torah, Vort but it's things to say at your table. And every Dvar Torah I give, I describe in a way that you can begin a conversation at your Shabbos table with this Dvar Torah. That's the whole goal of a Dvar Torah. It's not to quote a kikumatria or say some, you know, highfalutin fancy. The goal is to transform the Shabbos table to be a makum Torah. So in Parshas Noach, I I suggested this debate. And the debate didn't wait till Shabbos. It happened in the shir itself, right? Half the people. Do you blame Noach? When Noach says to Hashem, okay. Hashem says, look, I'm omnipotent, I'm perfect. I created the world and this is how the world's failing me. And here's my plan. I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to continue it through you. And Noach says, okay. Do you blame Noach? So, half the group said, Of course not. Noah did the right thing. He's Hashem. Who are you to tell Hashem to do it differently? Hashem, creator of the universe, says, This is my plan. You say, Okay, that's our job. The other half said, No, what do you mean? Look at Avram two weeks later. Avram says, Look, Hashem, in the end of the day, you're Hashem, whatever you choose. But I have to protest. You have to give me a chance to protest. From my finite position, from the way in which you created me to understand the world, I have to protest. I have to object. So, it's debatable. It's arguable that Noah did the right thing. One could look at the section and say, Avram is an enormous Avram is a heretic, Khalilah, But one could say, Avram's a heretic. If you accept and believe in Hashem, you don't challenge Him. You accept passively what He says. Who is he to protest? Elamai, what do we see? Noah. Tzadik Bidorosov. At the end of the day, Noah's indifference, his lack of protest, makes the Navi Yeshayahu call those waters May Noah. Had Noah protested, maybe the flood wouldn't have happened. They're called by his name, May Noah. Whereas Avram has this legacy. Avram is the man who objects and who protests. So it's not an expression of heresy or of chutzpah. It is a model for us, and it's a model for us when we see things. I would I like to say that this is the first model of davening. What is davening if not protesting and objecting to Hashem? Hashem, my beloved friend is sick, I protest. It's unjust. I don't accept it. Hashem, Israel is being targeted. Israel, my brothers and sisters in Israel, have 15,000 rockets and tunnels being dug. I'm protesting, I'm objecting. Hashem, injustice, inequality. What is davening if not protesting, objecting to something about the way Hashem is running His world? And what gives us license to do it? Avram Avinu. Moshe Rabbeinu later, they are the ones who give us license. Now it's shocking that Avram does it. Not only shocking for the reason we just said about Hashem, it's shocking for another reason. And here, this is not in the Rabbi Salavitch, Chumash, which I forgot in my office, but this appears in uh, a great volume called Abraham's Journey, which is the Torah of the Rav on Sefer Bereshus. And I want to read to you from there, where the Rav writes the following. As long as Sodom prospered, Avram's doctrine, sermonizing, and preaching meant nothing. One cannot preach goodness and kindness if Malchus HaRisha, the kingdom of evil, is rich and powerful. One cannot gain converts for an idea if its opponents, no matter how bad they are, prosper. An angel came to announce the birth of Yitzhak, in other words, the continuation of Avram's heritage. But Sodom's existence contradicts everything Avram has said. Avram preaches equality, kindness, charity, hospitality... Sodom laughs and scoffs at these ideas. And here the Torah tells us something important about Avram. If we had been in his place, we would simply have prostrated ourselves and thanked God for destroying the kingdom of evil so that our task would be simplified. Sodom is Avram's competition. Sodom is exactly what Avram is dedicated to eliminate. Their message, their values, who they are. When Hashem comes to Avram and says, look, I can't hold back, I got to tell you, I'm destroying Sodom. You'd think Avram would give Hashem the greatest Yashikoyach. Wow, thank you. You just took away my competition. You gave me a monopoly on the world to teach your values. But that's not what happens. He was ready to accept defeat in order to give Sodom an opportunity to reform and restore itself. Avram dropped his hatred for Sodom and his love for his mission. Who was ready to sacrifice his life and have his new Torah appear to be a total failure. He was prepared to forgo his hopes and his vision for the future just so that stone would not be destroyed. This is chesed in the full sense of the word. Says the Rav, this is the highest form of chesed, to put our own interests aside to try to relieve the suffering of another, even if that suffering serves you. But nevertheless, to be so incapable of neglecting suffering, that we set aside our own interests to care for others. This is the highest form of chesed, says the Rav, and it is truly remarkable when you think about it in this way. Right? Hashem doesn't say to Avram, there's some tribe in in Africa that I'm going to destroy, you don't really know anything about them. You know, they're kind of neutral, they have no impact on you. And, And Avram steps up and says, no, you can't do that. This is Avram's arch enemy. This is Avram's greatest competition who are holding him back from achieving his goals. And despite that, he sets that aside to advocate on their behalf. Wow, what that teaches about Chesed is absolutely extraordinary. So, Vayigash Avram Vayomar. So Avram approaches Hashem and he says, "Ha'af to spetzadik im Russia." Now, I have to tell you something. I've told you a thousand times. I'm going to tell it a thousand more because it transforms my davening, and I hope it will transform yours. You'll forgive me because you heard it from me a thousand times. How does it describe Avram approaching Hashem? With what word? Vayigash. Vayigash. That word vaigash appears how many other times? other times? Two other times. Where does it appear? Elsewhere in Sefer Brishis. Later, it's the name of a parsha. I'll give you a hint. <laughs> <laughs> About whom does it does it appear? Vaigash Love? Yehuda. Yehuda. Yehuda approaches Yosef. And what's the third time? Elio anavi. When Eliyahu Hanavi challenges the false prophets of Baal, it says, Three times the word "Vaigash" is used. Vayigash Vayigash Eliyahu Hanavi Vayomer. What do the three episodes have in common? Why is that word "Vaigash" used for the three of them? The answer is, each of them describes an incident involving a crisis, an urgent situation. And this relates to what we said before. While everyone else scattered, looked the other way, passed the buck, in these three instances, these three individuals, they stepped up, they stepped in, they stepped forward. They were surrounded with complacency, they were immersed in apathy, their environment was indifference. And yet Avram Yehuda and Eliyahu. They're different. Vayigash, they step forward. They emerge out of the crowd. They differentiate themselves. And through a combination of prayer and effort, they make a difference and they have an impact. How do they each have their impact? Or on behalf of whom do they each have the impact? So we just said, who is Avram stepping forward for? It's not his best friend. It's not his nephew. It's not Hashem. Who's he stepping forward for? His enemy. For Rishon. Even for the wicked he's stepping forward. Yehuda, who's he stepping forward for? For his brother. For family. And who is, who is Eliyahu Anavi stepping forward for? For God himself. To protect and to stand for Kvod Shamayim, The honor of Hashem. The Ramon Shulchan Aruch of Moshe Isla's quotes from the Rokeach, a medieval commentary. That these three times the word Vayigash is used is the origin and source for something we do every day three times a day. You know what it is? How do we begin the Amida? I take three steps forward. Why do I take three steps forward? I leave the place I once was. Now I'm Omed Lepnei HaMelech. It's the Amida, But the Ramah quotes the Rakeach who, says, Rakeach who says, these three steps correspond with the three Vayigash. I take one step and I even advocate for the Rishayim, the low lives in the world. And I say, Hashem, have mercy on them my second step, I advocate for my brother. I'm willing to come out of the crowd to fight on behalf of my brother. And the third step, I say, Hashem, people are trampling all over your vision for the world. I'm here to stand for you. The three steps we take for the Amida correspond with the three Vayigash, a willingness to step out of the crowd and advocate for even Rishayim, for our brothers, for Kal Yisrael, and also for, and also for Hashem. The Taz, who has a commentary on Shulchan Aruch, has a uh, sefer on Chumash called Divrei David. And the Taz writes there, who is Avram advocating for? The Tzadikim or the Roshayim? So if you read the simple text, it sounds like Avram is advocating for the Tzadikim. God, how could you do this? Okay, Stomar, a bunch of lowlifes. Corrupt, unethical, immoral, morally depraved, decadent, rejects. I got it. Destroy him. But I have to spit tzaddikim. rush, how could you do it? Don't the tzaddikim, don't the righteous? Comes along the taz, the divari david, he says, no. Tzaddikim, Avram doesn't need to daven for them. They, through justice, deserve to live. What he's advocating is that in the merit of the righteous, don't destroy even the wicked. Let the whole city prosper. Why? Don't you have faith and belief that the righteous can impact the wicked? Don't you believe that the Tzadikim yet can still transform the Rishayim? So he says Avram's tefillah here, it's again very different than what we're used to thinking. Avram's tefillah is not for the Tzadikim. That's a given. His tefillah is for the Rishayim. That's not the simple way of understanding. So let's see. Uh, who shall we see? Let's see the Ramban. Says the Ramban, "V'egash Avram v'yomar haftes patzadik im Russia." Ampushal Hakodesh Baruch Hu midas dino. V'chashav Avram tis patzadik im Russia. Lo yada machshavas Hashem v'alem baracham av kasher pirashi. V'lachein amar ki agun v'tovu sheyiso l'chom mokum l'man chamishim atzadikim. Av loytachein gam midas din la hamitzadikim Russia. Shimken ye katzadik Russia. The Ramban says, "God, you are a God of justice, and as a God of justice, how could you possibly eliminate and kill the righteous with the wicked?" What's going to happen, God, in your world if people assume that you're a God of righteousness, of justice, and despite being a God of justice, what will they see you do? Kill the righteous unjustly. What will it lead them to? The Shav Avod Elohim. It's pointless to worship God. Why is it pointless to worship God? Because even if I'm righteous, even if I'm a tzaddik, I'm going to go down with the Rishayim. So says the Ramban, Avram's strategy was to say to Hashem, Hashem, if you want people to be motivated, if you want to create an incentive to be righteous, then you can't kill the righteous with the wicked. Because what reward is there then for being righteous? That's not only unjust, it's counterproductive for your mission of creating a world of righteous people. That's how the Ramban understands it. If you look at the Kliyakar, it's in the middle of a comment of the Kliyakar. But he writes, Where did Avram learn this from? Where did Avram learn to advocate for the righteous? Or, according to the Taz, to advocate for the wicked. What was the downfall of Sedom? Says the Kliyakar. What was the Achilles seal? What was the reason Hashem was moved to destroy them. Znus. What's Znus? Znus is uh, promiscuity, licentiousness. Sexual immorality. V'cholmakam is Znus olam tovim Yerushalmi and Sota says that most abhorrent to the Almighty is when there's moral decay that leads to this Licentiousness and promiscuousness, sexual depravity and immorality. And when that happens, the righteous go down with the wicked. Why? What do the righteous do wrong? Are the righteous on those websites? Are the righteous engaging in that behavior? Are the righteous paying for those services? Are the righteous walking around immodestly? Why do the righteous go down? <laughs> Because the righteous failed to disengage. They failed to separate themselves. They failed to object and to reject that growing moral decay. Because nothing contaminates the earth like this sexual moral decay. Even idolatry doesn't have that contaminating impact on a culture, on a world, the way that Znus does. So why does God want to destroy Sodom? And why is God even prepared to take down the righteous with the wicked? Because the righteous didn't disengage. They didn't leave. They didn't protest. They didn't object. There can only be holiness where there are boundaries. There can only be holiness where there are boundaries. You know, is it a coincidence I don't know if I should even say this. You can't even say anything today. You get in trouble. <laughs> All right, I'll get in trouble. Listen, if I lose my job, I've always wanted to make Aliyah. So, is, maybe I shouldn't say this. I'm not Khalila. People have gotten in trouble. You can't blame any victims. Perpetrators need to be locked up, criticized, condemned. They're horrible. They need to be called out. We need to create infrastructure going forward that protects the vulnerable women, children, I believe, I agree, I work every day for those values. That said, that importantly said, it's not a coincidence that in this morally depraved culture we live, where there's no sense of modesty, no sense of boundary, no sense of identity, no sense of appropriateness, is it a coincidence that it's against that backdrop that we're suffering from all of these other consequences of people having those negative experiences. That was Sodom. That was Saddam. When you're driven by the lust and the passion, by the openness, by no boundaries, again, no one's blaming a victim. What I'm advocating is, to ensure we have no future victims, because we care about the victim and never blame them, we need to have a return to modesty. That's the name of a book by Wendy Shalit, who's coming actually to speak soon in Shul. Didn't make it into the brochure, but she's coming. And, and that's, that's what the Kliakar is describing. Sodom was an absolutely morally depraved, corrupt, boundaryless, immodest society. Anything goes anywhere, anyhow, any way you want to dress, any way you want to conduct yourself, anything you want to post, anything you want to access, any way you want to behave, demanding that the world respect that, accept that, see it as legitimate. And it's against that backdrop. A culture, we live in a world where marketing and PR I mean, we can't have it both ways. The entire marketing industry is leveraged on turning women into sex objects. And then, now there's backlash. How could people possibly ever see women in that way? So we have to readdress the way that we see the world, run the world. Again, Khalilah never blaming a victim, advocating and protecting victims. But it's exactly what the Kliyakar says. erva, sham Kadusha. Only when there are healthy boundaries of modesty can you have holiness. So a Sodom which lacked it couldn't have holiness. So if they were so righteous, the righteous, and they really craved holiness, they should have left. I understand, God, if you're sending an emissary they can't distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. And the righteous are also accountable for staying. But God, you said you're coming down yourself to see. You, God, know the difference between the righteous and the, and the corrupt. So therefore the Kliyakar says, that's what's going on here in this, in this conversation. We have a lot more. We did two psukim. not bad. I can make my note now and know exactly where to pick up. Next year, Pasl Khvdalid, Tupukin. OK, we made our way, but we'll pick up from here Emirza Shem next year.